Well, good morning. Welcome to 2019. How many of you are glad that 2018 is over? Anybody? Okay. <laughs> Some of you had a rough 2018. Y'all are ready to call that one quits. Um, I am excited about what is in store for us this year. Uh, we've already started uh, praying and believing in God to do some amazing things for our church this year. And uh, the good news is that includes you because you are the church. And so uh, it's not a building or chairs or an address. The church is you. And so uh, we're just so thankful to do life with all of you. Uh, this week is a week of prayer and fasting. And so what I'm going to do is uh, challenge us this whole week to just a life of prayer, <clears throat> a year of prayer. For some of you, you're really winning in this area. This is, this is a strong place for you, a strong, a strong uh, bi biblical uh, stance for you. Uh, prayer has always been a part of your faith journey. And for some of you, it's always been a, a struggle. And so uh, hopefully um, we can get you jump-started this week and uh, prayer can come back to you. And so this morning, I have devoted an entire message to the thought of prayer. Prayer is one of those topics, and um, I, I don't have statistics for this. This is merely my experience. But in teaching scripture, there are really about 12 to 15 topics that are so central to our, our loving and serving God and being in him. And prayer is one of those. Prayer is one of the main spokes in that wheel. And so if, if you find yourself this morning and, and you say to yourself, you know, I really just don't have a prayer life or I don't know how to pray or I'm bored with prayer or uh, I, don't, I, don't have, I don't have time or I don't understand it or I devote time to prayer but it just doesn't feel like I, I get anything back, like I feel like I'm just having a conversation with myself, um, I, I want you to dive into the thought and the topic of prayer and, and let, let, let the Lord teach you and guide you and direct you this year and change that about where you are with him, okay? And so I want to uh, start out this morning and I want to give you an example. Um, and um, this, this example... I want to use this egg as a symbol of our faith. And we know that every person has been given the measure of faith uh, because Scripture tells us. And you have the option of putting that faith in whatever you choose. You can put it in yourself, you can put it in finance, you can put it in people. Uh, you can choose to put that faith wherever you want to. But this is the key to finding God. The Bible even tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please him. Because he wants this measure of faith placed in him. And even though a small amount, the Bible tells us, even though we can link just a very small piece of this to him, it becomes very powerful to us. It unlocks things for us spiritually that are presently closed because it requires faith. This is the language that looses 
things in our lives. If this were a symbol of our faith this morning, I would talk about its completeness, its wholeness, the fact that it's compartmentalized, it is basic, it is manageable, it is something that truthfully we, we can pull out and talk about easily. I think if I ask you to go and get with five or six people this week and just talk about faith, you could talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk about faith because it's, it's easy. And so when we look at this, and if we think about every one of us has a measure of it, and it links us to God, then it's also uh, common for us to say that we all have a different experience of it. So when we look at at our measure of faith, when we look at at this compartmentalized place in all of our, our lives, we We look at it through the lens of our own experience. And we can hear someone else and talk about how, man, it seems like your faith is explosive. And when we look in Scripture, Jesus himself even does this. He actually puts out about three levels of faith. I've told you this before, but I'm going to use a King James word here too. But He looks at some group and he says, oh, ye of little faith. He said it's kind of, sad the place that that you're living from, that you've taken your measure of faith that hasn't grown, you haven't put any action to it, you're not using it to, to, to strive forward. And then he looks at an, another group and he says, thy faith has made you well. So You've done well. You've, you've activated this. You've believed in me. You, you've, you've grown. You've taken your measure and put it in the right spot. Thy faith. But then he looks at this other group and he says, you have great faith. That somehow in, in all of this, and he even goes on, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, out of all the people that I've dealt with here, I've never seen faith in this community the way you have it. Can you imagine hearing the Lord say that about you? And we look at our experience and whether you're here this morning and you have little faith or thy faith or great faith, you have it. And what you're doing with it is very, very important. So all I have to do with my faith in this state is maintain it and keep damaging ideas away from it. We guard our faith. We get very, uh, as, as a matter of fact, we've built a vehicle around it called religion. And that religion becomes the vehicle by which we believe. And sometimes it's been a great thing, and sometimes it's been a terrible thing. Sometimes religion has set us free, and sometimes it's bound us up. And I believe Jesus teaches that too. He looked at a very religious group of people and called them a brood of vipers. He was saying, listen, the vehicle you got is broken down. It's not, it's, it's not working any, any, any longer. This isn't, this isn't good for you. So all I got to do is maintain it and keep it. And the problem with this is that most of us, most of us, have had life experiences that contradict simple and uncomplicated. So when you look at, at your faith and you look at your life, there's a dichotomy. Because you go, man, I really believe, I I think I've trusted God and I've served God and I've done well, but your life experience does not 
equate per se to what you think the result should be because you have believed or served or been on a, on a journey following Jesus. Now, I'm, I'm going to get to that in just a minute and tell you why that's broken. But life tends to give us and dish out a lot of brokenness. And brokenness is life-changing. And even more important, brokenness is faith-changing. Brokenness causes us to reevaluate. That's why I have a towel here. See, I thought this through. Brokenness causes us to say, wait a minute, that, that's not what I expected. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Brokenness causes you to look at this and go, hang on, this, this no longer looks like it did yesterday. My faith no longer because of life no longer looks like it did when I was a kid. This now doesn't look like my mama's faith or my grandmama's faith, or my best friend's faith, or my spouse's faith, that now suddenly my, my faith has changed due to brokenness. And so when this happens, there, there are two options. You can abandon all faith and live the rest of your life as if God never existed, which still requires a lot of energy and faith. Because all you're doing is shifting faith. You can't escape it. It's in you. You've been given the measure of it. So what you're doing is when, when you're hurt and you're broken, you're saying, I'm no longer going to put that faith in God. I'm going to put it in myself. You aren't escaping faith. You're just shifting it. And so now we take our faith and it, and it has a different angle to it and perspective at it. And you only have two options. And so you can abandon all and live as if God never existed, or you can take your broken faith and you can add a half a teaspoon of salt and three teaspoons of baking powder and two and a half cups of flour and a cup of melted butter and one and a half cups of sugar and a tablespoon of vanilla extract and one and a quarter cups of milk and you can bake it for 35 minutes at 350 degrees and turn your brokenness into a bounce back. You can take it and do something with it. That suddenly the mess that you're shocked by becomes part of your message. Or what, what we often say, turning your wound into wisdom. And so don't be afraid that faith looks different for you than it does somebody else. Don't be afraid that your faith and my faith are different. Because we're living different lives. We're experiencing things differently. Don't be afraid that what you perceive was Paul's faith is not your faith. Paul's experience and your experience are different from each other. And so it's almost as if the best version of you follows your brokenness. You ever know anybody that actually came through something and it seems like they have something that you don't have? That's because they've gone through it. They've worked it through. They've prayed it through. They've done it well. And so now it's almost like they've got a spiritual chip on their shoulder. Now they believe firmer. Now the wind doesn't move them as easily and quickly. Why? 
because they've taken brokenness and put it in the right spot. They've reframed it. They've used it. They've wielded it. And so in Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 3, it says this. And I'm going to ask you guys to to say three words with me. It's all the same, the same word three times in, in a row. And I'm going to cue you. And when I do, I want you to say it out loud. Okay? To bestow on them a crown of beauty. Here, here we go. Instead of ashes. Okay? Let's say it one more time. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Some of you are in this room right now this morning and you need some instead in your life. So you've let life experience put you into a place of ashes and and wearing despair and had your joy robbed And you are living out your life like that, knowing about Jesus here, but living from a place of brokenness here and not doing anything about it. So Isaiah is challenging you and he's saying, there's another option. There's a better way. There's an instead for your life. And so I give you the visual of this egg because I want you to know it's from this place that you are praying. It requires this to go to God. And so if you can't take this and go to him, this this is why some of you are bored with prayer. This is why some of you are bored with your relationship with God. This is why some of you think 2019 is just another year for another time of growing and another time of getting older, another time of losing some hair, another year gaining some weight. And you're not spiritually on fire with anything because you're living from this instead of trading it in. We pray from our realities not from fantasies of what we wish had not happened to us. That would be living from a place of regret and disappointment. But what we seek in prayer is betterment, it is depth, it is understanding. These are the things that we pray through in our lives. We are praying about it, we are coming into alignment with God about it, and we are praying it through We are creating a conduit by which God's will is now lining up with, I am moving my will to get in perfect alignment with God so that things can can be moving through me, that things can be fluid. So let's start by asking two significant questions about prayer. Here it is. Number one, when you pray, what do you expect from God? This may seem very shallow, but think about it for just a minute. When you pray, what are you actually expecting? Because some of you pray, and it's, it's words, it's liturgy, it's reciting, and it no longer comes from a place that is alive in you, and so your expectations are extremely low. For some of you, 
You have a fire in, in you, and you are praying with, with fervence. You are praying with, with vibrance. You are praying with a lot of faith, with great faith. Do we expect answers? I want you to ask yourself this question. When I pray, do I actually expect an answer? When I pray, do I expect to be rectified, defended, Here's a tough one. When I pray, do I expect a miracle? A miracle is sim- simply this. It's, it's something that is done that you no longer can do on your own strength. It's where you've ended and where God must begin in your life. At that passing is a miracle. Do you expect that any longer in your life? Do you expect to find a solution? Do you expect for it to get sorted out? Do you expect to gain strength from what you're going through? Or is prayer to you a complaining, whining, grumbling session? And if it is, listen, many, many people of faith have done that before you. Don't feel condemned. Don't stay in it. But keep in mind, it's very natural for us at some point to go, I'm not digging this life experience, God. So when you pray, do you expect nothing? Only you can answer that. Okay, Prayer is central to our experience of God. And when we don't pray, listen, we are given over to just philosophy of God rather than the power of God. When you get bored with God, bored with prayer, bored with your walk, what happens is you become 100% just religion, which means a framework, a structure, data, information. And you may know a lot of scripture, you may know how to do church, you may know a lot about church, but all that is is religiosity. And so what happens is you become a great philosopher. This is what I think. This is what I think about God. This is what I think he can do. And this is what I think he can't do. And this is why I think life looks the way it is. And this is why I think this is happening. This is what, and I think, and I think, and I think. And you've moved from power of God to philosophy of God. And what happens when I read the New Testament and I read the book of Acts and I read Paul's letters to the early church is that it was a lot less philosophy and a lot more of experience. Like that, that group of people was able to say, this is what God is doing in my life right now. It wasn't about, hey, you know, 100 years ago or, man, if Jesus was still here, this thing would be rocking, but he's not, and now we're all just going to sit around and think about what it all meant. No, they were living out a demonstration of what God was doing to them. 2 Timothy calls that philosophy having a form of godliness. It looks like Christianity, it tastes like Christianity, it walks like Christianity, but it's a form of godliness. He goes on to say, and deny the power thereof. In other words, he's saying this, there's going to be some people who have a form of godliness, it's going to look good, it's going to smell right, they're going to have a nice sign, nice church, they're going to have black chairs, they're going to have great lighting, they're going to have a... Very handsome preacher. They're going to have a form of godliness, but there's not going to be any power. It's just going to be a bunch of talk. They're going to get together and, and think and talk and speculate and have a lot of philosophy, but nobody's, going to, nobody's, nobody's pushing through to the power. That's what he's saying. It's a tough spot. 
Second question is this. When you pray, are you expecting outcomes that God never promised? When you pray, are you praying from a place that God never established? Okay, and and here's where our westernized, spoiled, rotten Christianity sits in. Let me ask you some questions. Do we expect privileged lives? Do we? I know at one point in my life, I did. And then I started looking around, and I started asking myself really hard questions because I saw people without clean water to drink, kids with swollen bellies due to hunger, no shoes, no clothes, histories of genocide, victims, people that didn't ask for trouble and got it all the more. And if you're saying, well, God, you know, that's, that's because that's in another place, another time. Me, though, I don't, I don't deserve, deserve that. So I was asking myself this question, does God love me more than them? And I had this huge twist because what I saw was a nice house to live in and a car to drive and a house for my car to park in and and food and ice and clean water. I mean, we're watering lawns with drinkable water. And most of our prayer time is spent, you know what, what, it's, what it's spent doing? Asking God for more. I want, I want, I want more. Like I, I want a raise, and I want a title, and I want a better house, and I want a, I want a, a better car. And, and see, God, once I have that, then I'm going to be a great giver. Like, like once, you, once you do that, then I'll turn, I'll, then I'll turn around and, Give shoes and clothing and shelter and care about the orphan and the widow and people in jail. I'll do that if I'm driving the right thing and living in the right place. I'm going to do all that. If you will do this, then I will do that. It's a partnership. And this is where we spend our lives coming from. We expect privileged lives. Do we expect to live forever? This is is another question. Do we expect to live forever? We shouldn't. You know that, that, that the death rate is 100%. It's 100%. Everyone who's, who's living is dying. But yet when we experience death, we get upset about it. I can't believe, can't believe this happened to me. I can't believe God did this. I can't believe that person in my life is now no longer here, and I'm mad about it. Okay, Now, grieving is, is okay. I'm in a grieving process myself. But what I have to do is realize that to get to him, I've got to cross that same bridge. Death is the door by which we get to experience the the glory of eternity. And we should be applauding those people because Hebrews 11 tells us they're applauding us. So we shouldn't be angry about that. So we're praying, we're expecting things in prayer that God never promised you. 
God never promised because you were a believer that he would, he would give you incredible homes and cars and raises. And you're saying, well, now, Kevin, you're preaching against prosperity. No, and I've told you this before. I'm not a prosperity preacher, but I'm not a poverty preacher either. I'm a provision preacher. I believe God provides because you love him. And for those of you that have wealth, awesome. You've used your, good, your, your gifts and you've stewarded it well. And God is proud of you. I'm not, I'm not talking about any of, the, of, the, of those things. I'm saying our expectations are displaced. Third, do we expect life to put its best foot forward? If so, hear me, we owe the early church an apology. We owe the early followers an apology. Because let, let, me, let me show you this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35 through 39. I'm going to read this from the NIV. If you don't have, have your Bible, look, look at, at the screen right now. There were others who were tortured. Okay, now if, if you need context, this is him coming right out of, by faith, Abraham this, and, and by faith, and by faith, and by faith, all these incredible people of faith doing amazing things. And then he segues. He like says, but wait, before you, you know, all get happy and think this is how it's going to go, there were others who were tortured. Tortured. Refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and chains of imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning, sawed in two. How many of you would like a series called Sawed in Two? Wouldn't that be great? We'd all grow from that. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and mountains, living in caves and a hole in the ground. And these were all commended for their what? Faith. Matthew 24, 9. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. I think we've got it pretty good. And so if we think that we should live this life of privilege, we owe these guys an apology. These early followers taught us that the promise has to be bigger than the pain. It has to be. Because if your promise does not supersede the pain, you live from the surface rather than from the source. Okay, so how, how do we pray? Man, I got so much to say, and I got three minutes, so y'all buckle up. I'm about to hammer down right here, okay? <laughs> Let me try and give you this, because I, I want you to see this. Let's take a quick look at what, what we call the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is got a lot of depth and gravity to it. Matter of fact, one of our campus pastors preached this for four months, so I'm going to give it to you in 60 seconds. Luke 11 the context here is the apostles have said, Lord, teach us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed means holy, sacred, reverent. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is about position. Okay, he starts the prayer with position. Our Father, who is holy and reverent and sacred, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. You are first. I am second. This is about position. The second thing he says is give us this day our daily bread. Provide for us. Provision. 
Give us today what I need. Get me through right now. I don't need a stockpile. I don't need barns with stuff. I don't, I don't need cars and homes and, 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 and everything that comes with it. What I need is for you to just give me what I need right now to be powerful in this kingdom. Provide. The, the third thing is, is penitence. He says, forgive us our sin as we forgive others. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Okay, so position, provision, penitence. And then, and then the prayer shifts into pastor us. He says, lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. Navigate me, guide me, direct me, pastor me. Okay? And then it ends with praise. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This is how he teaches us to pray. Position, provision, penitence, pastor us, and I give you praise for it. Pretty amazing. So third, let me see if I can't get through these last two in a minute and 13 seconds. I'm kidding. I'm going until I'm done. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Three, prayer is about the process, not about persistence. When I grew up, I was taught that if, if I would just persist, 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 persist. Oh, God, like, like, like a, the, the imagery that I have, and I could be wrong. I'm still working through this myself. But the, the imagery I had in my early faith was that it was like a kid at Walmart asking for a toy. Come on, come on, Mom, please, please. Just, just one time, I promise, I'll do anything you want. I'll do anything. Just buy me the toy. If you don't do it, I, I, I swear I'm going to freak out. I'm going to throw my body on the floor. I'm going to ride like a snake. I'm going to embarrass you in front of all your friends, all these people in Walmart. They're going to think you're a bad mom because you won't buy me this toy. And if you don't, oh, my, you just wait till I get home. I'm going to be the worst kid you've ever seen. I'm going to rebel and reject, and I'm going to talk bad to you, and I'm going to pout for three days. Buy me the toy. That's how I was taught prayer was, this persistence. Anybody with me? Okay, two of you. I can't get any help in this church. The rest of y'all are holy, I guess. I don't know. Next point. I'm going to skip this one. Okay, no. If you're, it's your alignment with God that brings the answer. It's not about persistence. It's about the process. James even tells us that when we ask, we're not receiving because we ask amiss. We are asking for things and that, 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 that God has not aligned for our lives. God has a will. God has a plan. And prayer is not about you trying to change God's mind. Prayer is about you aligning yourself with what he's already seen in store for you. And when you align your will and submit it and say, whatever you have for me, I want it. This is what we're doing for our church this week. God, whatever you have for our church, we want it. We submit to it. We align ourselves with it. Lead us, guide us, direct us, pastor us. I have more there, but I'm going to go on because I want to close this out. It's not how, but that. Okay? Don't get caught up on how you are praying. Don't, don't, don't think you've got to sound like the person beside you. Some people are amazing at praying, and it's like this, it's very poetic, and these big, strong words. I've heard people pray before and I'm like, man, I should never pray again. Like, I just want to record that and play it. Like, that's my prayer. I'll just hold up. (laughs) 
Because when I talk to God, I talk to God like, like a friend, like a brother. And I'll say, Lord, I, this is not a good day for me. Are you sure you want to talk right now? This is not good. I talk to God plain. Some of you are still talking to God in King James. <laughs> Hang on, let, let, me, let me help you. Because you think that's how the disciples talked. You need a Bible class, okay, to tell you that is not how they talked. Jesus did not have a King James Version Bible. None of them did. When Paul was teaching, he did not say, turn with me to the book of Galatians. Okay? So stop talking King James. You're not English. Stop talking like that. Oh, Heavenly Father, thou art thine and thee and doeth, speaketh. I think God is in heaven like, oh, God. Somebody, please, please help my people. Okay. This is how it had to have gone with him and, 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 and Moses when he said, I, I'm thinking about reinstating the flood. I'm, I'm going to kill them all. Okay, let, let me end. Y'all keep talking. I can't. It's not how, but, but that. It's not how you pray, but that you pray. Okay? For some of you, you think you gotta you gotta go into a, a prayer place at your home, and you gotta you gotta turn on Hillsong, and and burn the right candle, have the temperature right, and you gotta sit there for two hours. And no, sometimes my prayer with God is a sentence. And then an hour of thinking about him, meditating, reflecting. Sometimes prayer for me is just listening. It's being quiet. It's stillness. Sometimes it's like chatty Kathy. It's just, oh, I can't get it out fast enough. Just talk, 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 talk. And then I'm like, God, you're going to have to get back with me. I don't have time to listen right now. I'm going to go in here and, and, and work. I'm just not a good listener right now. Obviously, I've just talked for an hour, and so I'll circle back. It's, it's a conversation, and I think we've made it like it has to look a certain way, feel a certain way, be a certain way to be called prayer, and that's not true. It's not the how, it's the that, okay? Now, this week, we've put in, in chairs this prayer for 2019, and so this is easy. It's basically stick it to your mirror, stick it on the fridge, Get with your family, pray about this, talk about it, uh, think about it, make it a focus for you. Uh, Craig, in just a minute, is going to tell you about the opportunities we have for you this week and what this week is, is going to look like. But let me close with this. Some of you need to revisit this topic in your life because you are living from brokenness. 
your Christianity is weary and tired and you need some instead placed into your life. There needs to be a switch, a change. And it's time to turn that wound into wisdom and that mess into your message. It's time to make that transition. And prayer will help you with that. Okay? Prayer will help you make that, that move. Because trust me on this, one conversation with God can change everything for you. can change it all. Okay? I want to pray with you. Bow your heads with me this morning. Say, Kevin, I'm here today. And I need God.